Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Really excited about our next guest, Jennifer Fulweiler. She is a mom of six and a stand-up comic and also the host of a daily talk show on Sirius XM. She's a best-selling author, and we're going to talk about her new book today, Your Blue Flame. Drop the guilt and do what makes you come alive. Welcome to the show. I am so excited to be here. This is so fun. Yeah, were you just telling me offline, you read Mark's book, The Primal Blueprint, like 10 years ago when it came out, and so it's nice to have made that connection. I wasn't aware you you knew who we were, but I've reached out because I've been watching your work and excited about what you're doing. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was reading Mark's Daily Apple. I'm one of those people who would walk <laughs> around and quote Mark. I mean, it, I, like it, it was like he was the Buddha. I'd be like, well, Mark says, you know, blah, 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 <laughs> because it, because what you guys are doing really changed my life. I had had a lot of chronic pain and just feeling terrible. And, and, I, and I just felt like there's got to be a better way to live. Like, I don't believe that I should feel this way all the time. And it was when I found Mark's work that it all came together. I mean, complete paradigm shifts. So I, I'm a big fan of what you guys are doing. Oh, that is so awesome. Yeah, we now have like, there's like a gif on Instagram. If you if you type in primal, it'll show like video things of Mark and one says like, listen to the Sisson, which is one of our like <laughs> taglines. <laughs> but let's not before we get into your book. Um, look, six kids. Come on. I mean, where do you find the time? But listen, you were told that there wasn't an audience for a stand-up comedy done by a minivan driving women from the suburbs. So, you know, tell us about how you got into this game, how you even decided to become a stand-up comic, and then, you know, further into the writing. Yeah, you know what it was is that I looked around at the people in my circles living in the suburbs having kids and maybe not even a lot of kids, but just doing, doing the hustle of getting the kids to school and and that whole grind. And when I thought of what my friends were turning to for entertainment, they're watching the Netflix comedy specials and things like that when you need to just turn off your brain and have some fun. And I looked around and I said, well, I, I don't see a lot of stand-up comics, especially in, in this comedy genre who are speaking to our perspective. They're very funny. And, and I follow plenty of people who have different perspectives than I do. And I love that. But it is refreshing when someone can make a joke and you think, oh, that that is my life. You know my life. And, and I just wasn't seeing that, especially for comedy done by women. There are a few men in that space, but not a lot of women. And And so I started getting into it. And I saw that women are very, very underrepresented in comedy. And so, uh, and, and, and in my background, I'd had a public presence. I'd been an author. I have a daily talk radio show. And I had seen that people seemed to resonate with my humor. I, I would make these serious points. It's funny, actually, sometimes talking about Mark stuff, like you guys need to get in on this primal living. And, <laughs> and like nobody cared. Nobody cared about anything I had to say. And, but then when I started being funny, People said, "Okay, now wait. Now that we more of that, more of that." And so that that's kind of what led me into stand-up comedy. So you also had um, uh, you've talked about it before, but tell us about this move from atheist to Catholic. <laughs> so well, yeah, I was uh, born. And I think I, I might have gone the other way. I went to Catholic grade school and you know Jesuit high school. I, I never really truly was you know uh, into it, but it's just funny. It's it's very interesting when someone later on in life really has an awakening like this. Yeah, normally you go the other way. I know a lot of people who were raised Catholic and are now atheists. A lot of my friends are atheists, and many of them were raised Catholic, and they think it's funny that that I went the opposite direction. But yeah, I, I was born and raised atheist, and I just started asking questions around the time my first child was born. And uh, basically, I did a bunch of reading and research. I mean, my husband was, he was, uh, he considered himself Christian, but he wasn't practicing or anything, but he was pretty anti-Catholic. And so the only thing we had in common in terms of religion is that we thought Catholics were crazy. And other than that, <laughs> we didn't, we weren't on the same page about anything, but I, I read a bunch of books and I just, just kind of did some research. It's a very nerdy story. And, and I ended up thinking that this, this worldview is compelling and the, what I'm encountering here is compelling. And so my husband and I actually both converted it at the same time. Wow. Well, I mean, listen, when faith comes upon you, it's you, 
it's there. It's either there or there isn't. Right. If you have it, there's no, like, you didn't convince yourself to become a Catholic, right? You you right. had a moment of faith. And, um, right. no, and, and faith is important in a lot of, even if you're not a religious person, we can have faith in life, in the universe. There's so many sort of parallel existences with that. It's nice to have some of it. Um, <laughs> I, I, I really, yeah, so you have a couple of books. Tell us about the books before we talk about this one. You have one about God. Yeah, yeah. It's it well, the hilarious story, Elle, is that I it's called Something Other Than God. And it's based on a quote from C. S. Lewis. He's the Chronicles of Narnia author, but he was also an atheist who came into Christianity. And he has a great quote where he says, All that we call human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God that will make him happy. And so I called the book something other than God based on that quote, but sometimes atheists will read it and then I'll get one star reviews on Amazon because they're like, (laughs) wait, she becomes Catholic at the end. This book sucks. Like I thought it was about (laughs) something other than God. It's it's amazing. I love it. So yeah, that is my very nerdy story of going from being raised atheist to, to coming into faith. And then my second book, it's called One Beautiful Dream, and that's the story of having six babies in eight years, no mm. twin craziness, right? And I'm an only child and my husband is an only child. So, I mean, it's, it's the blind leading the blind. We have no idea what we're doing, having a big family. <laughs> and, and so that's the story of me igniting my own passions and discovering my love of writing, which would eventually turn into radio and stand up comedy. And, and basically that's the, that's a memoir of me saying, you know what, I'm not going to put my life on hold and I'm actually not going to put my dreams on hold just because I keep having babies. I don't think that women should be in that either or situation. So that's that memoir. And then my new book is an extension of that. It's called Your Blue Flame. And it is, it's about tapping into that special gift or talent you have that not only adds some light and goodness to the world, but it fills you with energy when you do it. Like it makes you come alive. So I, I'm super excited about this new one. I am too. And also too, because this is such an important thing for people. A lot of people struggle with finding their purpose. And that's essentially where you're guiding people, you know, to find and to embrace. Yeah. Um, I love it. Well, first of all, I love that, you know, all your children, you had a bit doing a stand up bit where you're talked about how like your punch card was full at the hospital. For, right, right. right. They're like turning you away. They're like, look, there's too many. Come on. Right, um, right. That, that's not too far from reality. <laughs> but you talk about it. I like this. You know, you have such great humor, but you're like, look, my life is a dumpster fire and maybe yours is too. So let's let's start there because um, there's a lot of people out there that are like, I'm doing my thing. I'm going through the motions. And, you know, listen, you're pretty inspiring for someone who has six children. You were not going to let your life stop and you pursued your dreams. You've got a, you know, self-realized comedy tour. We'll talk about all that later. But let's start with, you know, all right, my life's a dumpster fire, right? Where do I start? Yeah. You, okay. This is why I, it's funny. My author friends have been making fun of me that I have a book coming out and it's, and it's during, you know, global pandemic. They're like, okay, so just give up on yeah, This is the worst time. But I'm honestly really excited that, that I'm talking about the idea of having a blue flame and purpose and all of that, because I think that this is actually when people need it most yep. because I mean, how many of us are questioning our careers, our purpose, like suddenly the whole structure of life that we used to be living has been taking a, taken away from us. And we're saying, well, wait a minute, who, who am I if I'm not going into that office every day, if I'm not doing the traveling that I used to do, who even am I? And, and so what, what I'm sharing with people is that you have some kind of special gift or talent, and it's something that you were meant to do. I I believe in, you know, destiny, like in, I, I believe in God, but even if you're not a believer in a monotheistic God, maybe you believe it's it's just the universe or mm-hmm. some sort of force that's out there that has a plan for you and that your life is bigger than just you. And I think that this blue flame gift is a key part of it, that there is a way or ways that you are meant to impact the world. And it could be something huge. Maybe you're supposed to speak in front of tens of thousands of people, or it could be something really small, like picking some flowers and putting them in a mug and leaving them on your neighbor's front porch. Like that can be a purpose too. But I think connecting with this, this blue flame gift can take you on a journey to not just realize how you're meant to give back to the world, but to realize who you are. Yeah, that's amazing. And you know, you talk about how, right, it's like something you're meant to do. It fills you with energy, benefits others. 
then you mentioned, look, you know, like no sooner do we imagine ourselves using the blue flame and then we imagine immediately the next thought is like ourselves failing at it. A lot of people think of this blue flame dream as an impractical one. And I'm all about the impractical, right? You and I would not be here talking if we listened to people that were like, that's not practical. Well, you know what? Yeah, sketch comedy, stand up, it's not, quote, practical, but it we followed our passions and it led us to something that was, quote, practical is the way the rest of the world sees it. Um Tell us about yep. that. I mean, you know, why do you, it happens all the time. People are like, oh, I'd love to. And next thought is, yep. nah, I don't know. Well, it's because it's so personal. I really do believe that your blue flame, and, and you can have more than one, but whatever your blue flame or blue flames are, it it is really at the heart of who you are. So for me, comedy, just being funny, making people laugh, that is a deeply personal thing to me. Whereas let me give you an example of a gift I do not have is music. I can't create music. I can't sing. I'm the worst at it. So if I, let's say I were to sing a song and put it on YouTube and then, and let's say it got no response. People made fun of me. They, they said that, that I suck at singing. That would not bother me because I know that that's not part of who I am is giving, bringing light and love to the world through music. Now, comedy, that's a different story. And so if someone says, well, yeah, Jen's comedy is not funny. I, I don't think she's funny at all. That hurts so deeply because that's really getting into the heart of who I am. And that's the thing about using your blue flame is it makes you who you are. It brings you alive in ways that you have not been alive before, but it makes you more vulnerable. And and I bet you feel that, Ellen, in the work that you do when you use your blue flame, I, I bet you feel that vulnerability of if people reject me, if they say that what I'm doing is not good oh, like that, that, that's going to be much harder to take than if you tried to like, you know, be an accountant and people said that, that they didn't like you doing that, right? 100%. And I've, I've been in those moments. I mean, when I did sketch comedy for years, it was a little bit easier when I was dressed up as a character and wearing a wig and a mustache or something like that, you know, because <laughs> I was kind of hiding my own self. But still, there was that nerve wracking moment of like, all right, this could fail. We'll see. They're going to laugh or not, you know, and that is really putting yourself on the line. And then, of course, I had to be vulnerable in my last book and my, well, both of my books. And there were moments of, ugh, ugh, I don't know. Do I want to, do I want to put this out there? But in order to help someone else, I had to, and that was the step that I took. Um, and I'm really glad I did. And, you know, I argue in my book, Confident as Fuck, that the most confident people are the most vulnerable because they really, truly don't care what other people think of them. And let's be honest, we're human beings. We have emotions, right? It's not to say to wear it on your sleeve all the time, but getting vulnerable, at least with yourself, is really important. Um, you know, one of the things you are kind of guiding people, you know, like, hey, like, like, think about the times you felt alive, right? And I love that you mentioned this. You're like, what do you love to do that your friends hate to do. Can we go through some of the ways people, you know, these ways you have in, in your actually free ebook too, uh, about how we can assess like, what is it? What is it that I meant to do? Yes, yes, yes. I love this because, but I, I know someone who does this kind of work professionally. She doesn't use the word blue flame, but but she has a, a kind of counseling practice that helps people find these, these very special sacred uh, gifts and talents. And I talked to her, she's been doing this for a decade. And she said, Jen, the thing that I see over and over is that people miss their blue flame because it's invisible to them because they assume that everyone wants to do it. And the example she gave, it makes me laugh out loud every time she was talking to this woman. Let's say the woman's name is Sharon. I, I don't know the woman's name. Let's call her Sharon. So she's talking to Sharon. And Sharon said, yeah, I don't think I have a blue flame. I mean, I, I just don't have any gift that's particularly special. And so this counselor woman said, okay, well, I don't know. Tell me about a time that, that you seem to really help another person. And she thought for a while and Sharon says, well, I mean, this, this family at church was down on their luck. So I let the whole family move into my basement and they were just very effusive that, 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 um, that that really helped them. And so the counselor said, okay, that's good. We're, we're on the right path. And so when did, when was this? She said it was about 10 years ago. The counselor said, well, how long did they stay? And Sharon says, 
Oh, they're still there. <laughs> and, and, and the like, well, you need to well, blow that blue flame out right now. <laughs> and, and, but, but what Sharon said was she was like, well, anybody would do that. Anybody would like to do that. I mean, everyone would love to have a family who's down on their luck live in their basement so that you could serve them for a decade. We all want to do that. Right. And this counselor is like, no, <laughs> no, we don't all want to do this. And, and I encountered this as an author. You might have found this, too, when you were writing your books that like I love writing. I mean, well, OK, I don't love every minute of it, but in general, I, I do really enjoy writing. And so when I would have a day off, my husband would watch the kids and, and I'd have a, a whole free day. And I would just sit in a dark room with my laptop and just type, type, type. And I would feel so self-indulgent. And it was really a revelation to me when a friend was like, I feel so bad for you. I'm so sorry. What can I do to help you? And I was like, what do you mean? This is like a spa day for me. This is incredible. I'm loving this. And so that that's probably one of the fastest ways to find your blue flame is think of that time when you were doing something, you felt like you're living your best life. And your friend was like, oh, that's awful. How can you do that? Like, that's probably a blue flame. Right. And then also the like, who do you admire and why? And what do they do, right? Looking outside of ourselves to the people that we look up to. Yes. Yeah. And then the next one, which is an extension of that, both who do you admire and who are you just petty jealous of? Like, I think maybe <laughs> your listeners are better human beings than I am, but I know I've got some people on Instagram I had to unfollow and I had to mute because I just get, I hate their successes. I hate seeing them. <laughs> I'm awful. Like, I'm just terrible. But But I will admit the reason I'm so jealous of them and the reason I had to unfollow or mute them is because they are using a blue flame that I have too. And I wish that I could use my blue flame on the same level as they are. I wish I could have the same impact that they're having. And it, and it makes me jealous. And so it's, it's definitely who you admire, but also look at those people, you know, the sister-in-law that you had to hide her posts on Facebook or that public figure who drives you crazy there could be something there that what you're seeing is a blue flame that you have that same blue flame. And the jealousy is that you're like, man, I, I, I wish I could do that too. Absolutely. I'm really glad you brought that up because well, there obviously with jealousy, there needs to be some, you know, self-worth talk and some stuff going on. We can't let that linger because it's a negative vibe, but what it is, like you said, showing you is you want that you want, whatever that is that you're jealous or envy of. And so how about a thank you? Thanks for clarifying yeah. that for me, right? That is, in fact, there was one author I interviewed, Gina uh, DeVee, and she said, you know, what about like a cosmic thank you letter, whether you send it or not? Like, hey, thank you so much. Like, I'm so glad that I saw this because I realized I want it too. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and I get it. Like yeah. you know, That's so healing. I think it's so healing to admit, you know what? It's really not about this woman. It's about my own bottled up frustration. And you know what? I'm going to uncork this and I'm going to go use this blue flame and not just doing this jealousy. I love the idea of writing that letter. Yeah. And, and also too, you know, you talk about sort of the kinds of thoughts that are holding us back and let's go through some of them because, wow, they're self-defeating and you're just never going to get that dream. But that big one, which is like, well, so many people are doing this already. Like, like so many people are life coaches or like, oh, there's already a ton of self-help authors or right. Everybody is using like a lot of people use that as an excuse that so many people are doing this already as if there is a lack, as if there is not room for everybody. Right. And that's one of us. That's kind of a stumper for people. It is. And this is why I, I so emphasize the concept that your blue flame is something you are meant to use, that there, there are bigger forces at play here than you understand. Because the great thing is about that mentality, you can just check into the mentality of, okay, the universe, God, whatever you want to call it, means for me to use this gift. And so it's not up to me to decide that I'm not going to use this because I'm not unique enough or I won't impact enough people. Hey, if you're meant to use it, you're meant to use it. Like I know someone who who loves to make meals and this this woman, she's an immigrant and like she's had a little bit of trouble finding employment because of her immigrant status. And so she started doing these great meals. She's from Mexico. So she did this great home cooked, absolutely authentic meals. Elle, I cannot describe how good this food is. It is so good. And I mean, it never took off in the sense of being 
a big business. Certainly, I live in Austin, Texas. We have plenty of other people who are also doing Mexican food that is very, very good. She is not unique in this sense. But you know what? When my grandfather was dying, she would take these meals that she made and she sold them for like five bucks each. And I would get her to take them to my grandfather, who spent most of his adult life in Mexico. So it it really connected him to that culture. And it blessed him so much in his dying years to have someone who is from this country that he loves so much connecting him to that authentic food. But again, to what you just said, she wasn't unique in making Mexican food. There are that dime a dozen around here, people who can make great Mexican food. But she was meant to share that unique contribution. I believe that she was meant to bless my grandfather with what she did for him. And, and who is she to say, I'm not going to cook this food that I feel meant to cook because it's not big enough because everyone else is already doing it. That I, I think it's so important that we just be obedient to the gifts that we're given and say, you know what, I, I'm going to leave the results up to God, up to the universe. Like, and, and I'm just going to do what I'm called to do and not worry if to my perspective, it doesn't seem unique enough or big enough. Absolutely. Um, I think so many people that are at a level of success in whatever area you your blue flame is in were there once too. You got to start somewhere. The other one that's um, classic, and this kind of comes uh, as well uh, in, in the actor comedian route that I felt initially when I first was doing sketch comedy and pursuing acting, which was everyone's going to think I'm full of myself, right? Like there's this, cause, cause you know, cause you're like, Hey, look at me, right? Like I, I check me out. Like there's a, there's a weirdness there when you go from being like a private citizen to like jumping on stage or, or being out front on Instagram as a coach or whatever it is. And there is that moment of like, Oh my gosh, everyone's going to think, I think I'm so great and judge me that way. Obviously that's something I'm completely over at this point. I'm like, F it. I don't care. I've got a message and things to say. So I'm going to say it. You know, there's, I would just like, if everybody goes on YouTube, just type in any subject. There's someone out there. You've never met that's never written a book. That's got like a million thousand gajillion subscribers because some that's their, that's their jam. That's somebody's jam, right? You know, maybe not for me, maybe not for you, but there is definitely something for everyone out there. But that is such a self uh, we, how do we get out of that? How do you suggest we get out of that thought? Like, oh, they're going to think I'm full of myself. Oh, have you ever seen Elizabeth Gilbert's TED talk? I think it's called your elusive creative genius. I, I think that talk will cure you of this mentality. It's brilliant. It's a TED talk. And she's the one who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. And she talks about how for pretty much all of Western history, or not just Western history, but history, that in so many different cultures, there was this idea that if you had a talent, that it it came from outside of you. Like I think the Greeks called it maybe a daemon. Uh, other people called it a genius. So it, it's not like the Greeks would say, it's not that they would say this guy is a genius. They would say this guy has a genius. It's something that is given to you from an external force. And Elizabeth Gilbert said there's a freedom in that because when you think this is not something that is from within you and is all about you with your ego at the center, that, it you know, if you put something out there and it's not that great or it is great, you you can just people might say, oh, well, his genius is a little lame. (laughs) Like that's the quote I was from the TED talk. Or if or if you do something amazing, it would be like, well, that guy, that's great. He got he got a good genius. There's a good Damon working with him there. And, and she traces it back to it, then in the Enlightenment, a lot of the mystery was taken out of life. And it's just know that there aren't all of these external forces going on. And so then we started to very much personalize our creative talents. And it's a very psychologically destructive thing for people who are sharing any kind of gift, a creative gift or, you know, maybe your blue flame is, again, accounting or being a lawyer or something like that. Whether your gift is creative or not, I think it is very helpful to get that distance from your ego and say, I I was given this gift by something that is bigger than me and I was meant to use it. And so when I put myself, let's say you're, you're doing sketch comedy like you used to do. When I put myself out on that stage, this isn't about me. And this isn't about my ego. This is about the, the genius, the daemon, the blue flame that, that I've been given by an external force. And because I've, it's been given to me, I have a duty to use it. And it is not up to me. And it is actually not any of my business, whether people think I'm brilliant or whether people think I suck. Like it's just, I'm just doing 
what I was meant to do. And I'm using a gift that was given to me by, by something bigger than myself. And so I, I think when you think of it that way, no, you're not full of yourself. You're just saying, I've, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I've, I was just given this gift of being able to paint. And so, yeah, I'm just going to paint because it's what I'm supposed to do. And it's not that I think I'm brilliant or not brilliant. I'm just doing what I was meant to do. Yeah. And I mean, there's a huge difference. And I talk about this in my book, but it's like, look, there's a difference between being cocky and being confident and, you know, in your skills and your abilities, right? Um, There's such a big difference. And I think people are are worried that any kind of level of confidence, and this kind of goes to, and maybe I'll ask you about this, with religion, where people feel like, oh, no, no, you've got to be humble, right? But you know, it's hard to self promote, you know, and be kind of have that, that that, draw that line there. Um, And I guess on that, on that same note, if we could talk about this, too, is that people like you, you can want money, it's okay to want money. Let's talk about that aspect. Because I know, even people who uh, are religious, and it depends on obviously what churches are going to and what you know, their community is like, that to them feels also off. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yes. And I'm very surrounded by that because I, I'm in my Catholic circles. And so we're, we are big on like, no one should be worldly. Nobody should be seeking money. But then I live in Austin, Texas, where we have a lot of hippies and a lot of Buddhists. And so they're also like my, my friends who are non-religious, but they're secular Buddhists. They also in their circles, you, you need to be detached from the world. We're not about the glitz and the glamour. So I, I'm in this world where, where I kind of see that from all sides. And what I say about focusing on on money is that I think it it actually can make you a better servant of other people. And, and here's what I mean by this, that uh, a lot of times when I do an interaction with someone that involves the work of my blue flame, it can get very personal very quickly. Like, well, does, does this comedy club owner, are they respecting my comedy? And who do they think I am as a person? And and it can lead to all sorts of friction and division. And I have found that there, I have a lot more peaceful interactions when I simply say, okay, here are my terms. This is, if I'm doing a regular speaking engagement, this is my fee. If I'm doing stand-up comedy, this, this is what would be involved for me to get my crowd out at your comedy club. And when I make it about a simple emotionless transaction, I can actually serve people a lot better. I can have more fruitful friendships and relationships with them. And and it just depersonalizes the whole thing. And so I think as long as your motivation is not greed, now greed is a problem. If I just want money so that I can have a better car than my neighbors, be more impressive, have fancier clothes. Okay, that's a very toxic motivation. And whether you're religious or not, you, you don't want to get into that. But if your motivation is saying, I want to cut out the drama, I want to cut out the emotion, and I have bills to pay, so hey, here's the price, and I just can't do the work if people can't pay that price, I find that that actually fosters a a lot more healthy relationships. Let's talk about doing scary things. (laughs) That's my favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm a fan of this too, and I've done a lot of them as you have as well. So I think we're we're, you and I are probably used to it. Uh, But yeah, let's get into that. Yes. So that I, I kind of feel like that's that's maybe my specialty is doing crazy things that don't make sense. And you know that. I mean, with your background, like you you're you're a you're a soul sister in this. One hundred percent. Yeah, you know what I think it is? I my my dad, God rest his soul, he passed away unexpectedly a few months ago. He was in special forces, he was a Green Beret. And he was a halo instructor. So that's high altitude, low opening. He jumped out of planes at night at high altitude. And I swear I inherited his absolute disregard for danger and for like, <laughs> I'm, I really think I am missing a part of my brain that senses danger. So for me, I'm not jumping out of airplanes. I'm self-producing stand-up comedy tours. But but, but I think that one of the first things about doing scary things to know is that you build up to it. Like I didn't start this self-producing my own stand-up comedy tour, which by the way, like I booked these theaters on our personal credit card and I had never shared even one minute of myself doing stand-up comedy with my fans. So I didn't know if they would buy tickets because they had no reason to believe that I could actually do stand-up comedy. And uh, we would have been, we would have been in bankruptcy if, if I hadn't sold tickets to these events. And I didn't know for sure if I could. So my my fans kind of know that that was that was a really insane thing that I did. 
but I built up to it. It, It's like playing a sport. It's like exercising a muscle. I did not just do something that crazy straight out of the gate. And I'd be interested to know, is that your experience too? It's like building up a muscle that you can, you can build up your tolerance to scary things. I I totally agree. Well, it started, you know, I think, uh, at least in the world of comedy, like, uh, well, I find stand up to be probably the toughest because, People out there don't know. So basically, it is well known that the stand-up world is not very forgiving and not a lot of camaraderie in a lot of ways. Like people are, you know, not as supportive or kind of backstabby. It has that reputation where improv and sketch comedy, you don't have a choice but to be a team player, right? You have no choice. Like you have to support because the whole thing will fail. So I found, you know, so I think it's extra scary to be stand up because if you're on stage with a microphone, like, look, I've been in a lot of stand up rooms, like if someone's uh, failing, you're in the audience, like embarrassed for them. You're, you're like, oh, God, this this freaking stupid. I mean, it's harsh. Like yeah, they're, it's a, ruining, it, they're ruining everyone's night with their bad comedy. And I'm right. It's whatever you're imagining, and you know, and I'm saying to your listeners, whatever you're imagining, it's 10 times worse. Like, it's so bad. 10 times worse. Where improv, they're really extra forgiving because they know you're making it up on the spot. So if you like establish some space work and then you walk through that table, they, they're they like forgiving of it. Even with sketch comedy, if you miss some lines, eh, but they're not like mad at you. Like if you ever, <laughs> ba- if you do a bad joke and stand up, like people are pissed in the, like it's tough. It's, it's, a, oh, it's so, it's so harsh, you know? And so I think that's probably the scariest for form of comedy is doing stand up because it's you solo with your thoughts. That's it. Um, but I will say this, like I did have to build up to it. I mean, listen, you take your first improv class. Oh, awkward. Ew. Ugh. Ugh. Like, you know, it's so gross. But it's probably one of the best things to do to gain confidence because nothing's really that scary after putting yourself on the line for that. And so, you know, I found improv to be the most daunting sketch was pretty easy because you kind of know how it's going to go. You know what the laughs are sort of going to get in improv, right? You just don't even know what's going to happen on stage. And you're just like, but again, it's more forgiving. So I would say that what you're doing with standup is probably the most frightening of all the comedy genres. Uh, (laughs) if, If you know what I'm saying there? Yeah. Well, and okay. So I just pulled up this quote and I'm so glad I I have the word document of my book and I knew I quoted this. So I was able to search it. So I have an exact quote for you that I think is very powerful for your listeners in terms of doing scary things and maybe pushing themselves to some new limits, which can be very exciting and invigorating, but different people should push themselves in different ways. So here's this great quote. So this is when James Clear was on Rich Roll's podcast. So James said to Rich, he said, where is an area where I can handle the pain of the work better than the people around me? The area where you are more well-equipped to suffer is the work you were made to do. Isn't that a great quote? The area where you are more well-equipped to suffer is the work you were made to do. And so, and so I think a lot of the suffering with using your blue flame is it, it's just that it's scary. It's that you're afraid of rejection. But I think all of us have that area. It, it kind of goes back to what you were saying about like, what is something you enjoy doing that your friends think are, is crazy? I think another way of asking that question is, what is something that is scary but fun for you that your friends are like, okay, that would just be straight up scary, period, end of sentence. Like, I don't want to do it. That's that you can really find yourself in the work that you were meant to do if you explore that question. So, like you said, stand up is pretty much one of the most terrifying performance things you can do, and for good reason, because it is so horrible to bomb in front of a stand up comedy crowd. It's horrible. But it was actually when I was bombing one of my first sets, I had a room full of people. I was the only female performer. I was the only clean comic because just with my audience, suburban people, like I keep my comedy clean just because that's what my audience wants. So I was the only clean comic, only woman. And and even in the audience, it was 80% men. And so I have all these men staring at me. They are not laughing at my jokes. You can hear like the bartender clinking glasses in the background. Mm. Horrible. And another thing people don't know, but you know, you have to finish your set because you're going to screw up the whole show if you don't hit your set time. If they gave you 10 minutes, you've got to hit 10 minutes. Yeah, you got to keep going through yeah. the silence and the misery. <laughs> right, right. Because the MC will not be ready to come back up on stage until your 10 minutes is up. So you can't just call it a loss after two minutes. So you get to stand there and talk to yourself while everyone is getting increasingly angry at you for bringing such a bad vibe to this room. So all this is to say, it was when I was having one of those experiences that I was like, 
yeah, I found it. I found it. I found my blue flame. This is the work I was meant to do because this is horrific suffering, but yet I feel equipped for it. And I recognize that other people can't do this. And so it's like a friend of mine who's, she's recently discovered that her blue flame is gardening. It's, you know, she's getting stung by wasps. She's got ants biting her. She's not getting sunburned. And L, I couldn't do it. Not one day of gardening. Like I, nope, I would either. die. I just couldn't do it. Like that's not my gift. That's too much suffering for me. So I think that's how your listeners can connect here is to say, what, what is an area where I seem well-equipped for this suffering that comes with it? I love it. Now, you're a super alpha female. So am I. Anyone <laughs> listening will be, will be able to determine that. Um, and we often have the pitfall of sort of being afraid to ask for help. Right. Because, yes. you know, if at least the uncoached versions of us uh, prior and you'd probably agree, you know, again, vulnerability, it seems like a weakness asking for help. Uh, I'll just do it. Or you just don't want to ask for help. It's a tough thing to receive. We're not good receivers. You know what I mean? These are things that we have to learn over time. Um, let's talk about that. I mean, because you can get help with this. Right. If you're if you're pacing your apartment every month going, having a moment of like, what am I going to do? I hate my job. I hate this. I know I meant for more. And you're, and you're just dealing with with you, right? Um, Or other areas, you know, it was tough for me to ask for help, even on simple things um, for for a while until I kind of got over myself. So let's talk about like, it's okay to ask for help. Yes. Oh, yeah. And, and I, I had, I got a crash course in this because having six babies in eight years, I just got pushed to the point that I did not have a choice. I didn't want to ask for help. I had no interest in that. I was too prideful. I was too much of a control freak. But it just got to the point where it was like, there is going to be a smoldering crater where my house once was (laughs) if I don't reach out and tell someone that I really need help. And I think we have a lot of blocks to it. I think part of it is, again, being a control freak. There's also, again, the pride of like, well, I don't in order to have someone help me, well, then they'd have to kind of get into my mess. And I, and I really don't want people to know. But here's the biggest thing that blocked me and be interested to know if this is similar to your experience. I am a super alpha female. I mean, yeah. And, and I think I come across as being very confident. And I think I think I am in, in a lot of ways, but I do still have some insecurities. And I would even say that that that's a driving force behind some of what I do. And my hesitation, my biggest hesitation with getting help was to say that I am worth it. When I first started Mm. getting help, our budget was very tight. And it was one of those things where, well, if we cut back on the grocery budget, if we, you know, make some changes here, I could afford a babysitter. That was, that was the help that I needed at the time was childcare. But there was, what would block me is saying, who am I to use a few hundred bucks a month? Uh, when when the budget is tight for our family, how dare I say that my time is worth it? How dare I say that I'm worth, you know, 500 bucks a month or whatever it is we ended up spending? Why would I think that I'm worth that? And that was the paradigm shift I had to go through. And the hardest thing about asking for help was owning I'm worth it and my time is worth it. And you know what, for me to have four or five extra hours per week where someone else can do this other stuff for me, I will do value adding things with that time. And it's good for me to free up that time. And and that was my biggest block. Did you have that block or were you, did you know you were worth it immediately? You know, I, I, I I like that you highlighted that, that had to be, that had to be a part of it. Now that I'm thinking of it, I think, you know, and you know what it reminds me of, this is a little bit off topic, but kind of mm, a little bit related. I had a time, so I went through a period of like hypothyroidism where I got really fat and all that. Okay, wrote a book about it. I'm good now. But during that time, and I think stemming from it, you know, during that time when I was fat and bloated and miserable, didn't know what was going on with me, like I, I, I could only wear sweatpants. I didn't have any clothes that fit. And so like all my nice stuff, like I'd never wore any nice clothes, you know. And then when I lost yeah. the weight and whatever, I still had that same mind fat. And, and I had to sit with myself because I... I'd be like saving things, right? Like I'd even have a pair of like around the house, cool sweatpants that were maybe like, you know, 80 bucks and kind of cool. You could wear around people and not look like a jerk, but I wouldn't wear them. I'd be like saving them. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I'd be like, no, no, no. Like, yeah. yeah, Like why, why was I not worth wearing? Like, I don't, (laughs) so like all these years of new clothes for like years I never wore because, um, I don't be like, oh, I'll save that for when I go out or for when around people. And again, it's like, wait a minute what am I doing? And I just had to look at the self-worth issue there. And so I can see it happening with help. I think, um, I think when you're getting into like, I was talking get more like asking advice, but I hear you when you are about to spend money 
it, it, there's a guilt factor there too that can come up, right? Like, but I, but but I could do it, or like, do you know what I mean? Like you said, is it is yeah. it worth it? You got to the point where you said, no, 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 my time is more valuable than what I'm spending over here and I need to replace it. So I think there's a couple, you know, I hope that thing made sense about the clothes. But again, it was like a self worth thing that I had to just go, what am I doing? And I think that that is totally related to people asking for help or paying for help, right? Like getting a coach or signing up for some kind of program or whatever it is, you you've got to get to the point where you're like, I'm worth this, I'm worth the self advancement. And you can't really get anywhere without asking for some help. You and I are not where we are today, just by ourselves. There are people that supported us, encouraged us, no one got here alone, right? So I just think we need to open up to more of that. Yeah. Yeah. And especially that people here, I have six kids, and they think, Oh, Jen's a super mom, she's doing it all. Like, no, 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 no. A lot of other people are helping me here. This is not in any way a one woman operation. But all of that did start with that openness of me realizing I wasn't meant to do this all on my own. I can't do this all on my own. And my life will be richer for it if I start asking other people for advice, for support, for help. And as an aside, it's nice for other people too. I mean, everyone likes being asked to contribute in some way where they can use their own gifts. So like my, my nanny who helps me with the kids, she loves the work that she does. She thanks God every day that she has this job. And so when you open yourself up, whether it's paid help or whether it's just getting advice from a friend, you are doing other people a favor. And that was another huge mental shift that I had to go through. I love that. Um, and that kind of goes with, um, it's a sort of aligned with when you reject compliments, which is another kind of alpha th- pitfall. Um, uh-huh. We're not good at accepting compliments. It's almost like giving the middle finger to the person that just complimented you. You know, it, yeah. accepting a compliment is nice to the other person, right? Like sometimes it is a giving thing, right? Even though you feel like it's a total receiving, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Oh, no, it totally makes sense. Yeah, because we've all been on the other end of that where we try to compliment someone and they reject it. And then you feel like, oh, did I say something dumb? Did I offend them? So yeah, you're, you are helping other people by, by just saying, wow, that was really kind of you. What a sweetheart you have to say that to me today that you're, you're making their day better by just accepting that. That's right. Let's talk about something that, um, I'm pretty good at, but, uh, (laughs) I think it's important. Uh, how does this relate to your blue flame, which is you can say no. And I would venture to add to that. Like you should probably say no more often, everybody. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, you know what? It kind of connects back to that concept of valuing yourself and your mission and your time. And this is something, oh, you can imagine with having so many kids, like I'm constantly hit up for, can you run this bake sale? Can you be president of this organization for this kid? And can you do this? And can you do that? And, and for a long time, I felt like if someone was asking me to do something, well, then I guess I should do it. If they want me to do something, then I I guess I sort of have to say yes. And what it really came down to is I didn't know my own mission. I hadn't articulated what my blue flame was, how I was meant to use it. And so I was just kind of aimless in terms of what I should be doing. And then even after I connected with my own mission and the way I'm meant to contribute and my blue flame, there was still this feeling of like, well, you know, my, my blue flame, the way I'm contributing is not that important. So I guess I should run the bake sale, even though I can't bake to save my life. And I'm horrible at this. And I'm also bad at organizing things and working with people. But it seems like this person really wants me to run the bake sale. So I guess I should run the bake sale. And, and it was a very empowering thing for me to connect with my own mission and my own purpose and to believe in that enough to say, you know what, I'm contributing in other ways. And so, nope, I can't do this. I can't do this one thing, this other thing. And that, and, and I started to see that I really was, it, it gave me more energy to contribute in the ways I was meant to contribute instead of running horrible mismanaged bake sale. Cause that is not at all what I was meant to do with my life. Did, and does that resonate with your experience? No, absolutely. I, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's funny too. The people actually, People justify too much, right? So uh, that's the one thing about saying no. So I'd like people to stop justifying. So I'm like, hey, Jennifer, do you want to go to this thing with me? The worst thing is if you're like, I'm sorry, I can't. And then you give me a 10 hour list of all the reasons why. 
right? It's like, just own it. Just say, no, thank you. I really appreciate it. It's just, you know, like, it's more admirable. You know, usually the person on the other line is like, I don't need to hear your whole, right? You know, so just be, when you do it, just be confident about it. And then also to this, this relates again to another alpha pitfall. We can tend to be saviors for people or people come to us for advice or help because we're really good at like getting shit done. And so what happens is we often end up, or we can in uncoached alpha world, we often end up over giving, right? And then what we realize is we're helping everyone else with their own life and not ours. You know what I mean? And so I think it's really important to just go, I don't have to do that and not letting guilt Russian. I mean, I had it happen to me the other day. Someone was like, hey, I've got this new app. Do you want to be on the beta tester? And at the moment, I was like, yeah, sure, that sounds cool. And then like immediately later, I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't have time for that right right now. Like, that's not like, but I'm a naturally helpful person. And I, you know, thought it was a good idea. But I was like, okay, I kind of agreed. But now I got to walk it back. And I just say, hey, you know what? Thanks so much. But I I just can't do this right now. Um, So sometimes I catch myself before and sometimes I have to do it after. But it's usually we will usually regret it. And those are the things is later you'll be like, I just I don't want I don't want to do the bake sale with the why'd you agree to it? So don't don't do it next time. Right. So I think people do need to there, there's a lot of, you know, the power of no is really, really, really great. And I think more people need to do that. And um, let me just jump in to say yeah. an unexpected benefit of the power of no is that when you are bold in your no, like you just said, don't do the five page email about your whole life story of why you can't do this. When you say, I'm sorry, this doesn't fit into my schedule right now. Thank you for thinking of me, but I can't do it. You give other people permission to be that bold. It's funny, not that long ago, a couple months ago, someone asked me to do something and I did it. I had to kind of do a little self coaching here. Like, okay, I'm not going to give a bunch of caveats. I'm just going to say, I'm so sorry. Thank you for thinking of me. I can't do this. I later, I thought I'd offended that person because I'm a people pleaser. And then I later reconnected with that person. And she said, Jen, I was so inspired that you were just so quick and bold about, nope, you know, that's, I've got other things going on and this isn't going to fit in. I'm sorry that it gave her permission and it gave her encouragement to do the same in her life. So when we're bold in our own lives, especially with our no's, we give other people permission to be bold with their yeses and their no's. I love it. So tell, we can go to yourblueflame.com, right? For the book. And that has, uh, that that's, it's amazing. You guys, you got to check it out. And also let's talk about your comedy, your radio show, your podcast, how you can go to jenniferfullweiler.com. We will put all of the links in the show notes to connect with you. Tell us what do you have going on? You've got, you're, you're putting so much great content out there. Tell us of all the things you get to do on a regular basis. You know, and, and I'll be honest, I'm in, I'm in a little bit of a a period of kind of life discernment crisis right now, because my big plan was to focus more and more on comedy. And it still is, that's still the plan. But I had this genius idea that I was going to put pretty much all of my focus starting really right now. And then kind of forever into live events, my comedy tour that I did in, in the fall, people can Google it. I called it the naughty corner tour. Like when you, when you send a kid to the naughty corner, but it was (laughs) funny. These theaters, when they sold tickets, it would just say naughty corner on the credit card bill. So I had all of these rejections from people's spouses being like, what on earth did you buy at the naughty corner? (laughs) That was the name of that door. So it was so much fun and it was so successful that I was like, live events, that's where my future is. So I made some very large bets on, <laughs> on live events and you know nobody sees a global pandemic coming. And so like a lot of people right now, I have at, had to ask some tough questions about what does my blue flame look like now? So I've been doing funny things on social media and just doing more like funny videos and images than you know, instead of planning the live events. And, and it's actually been a really beautiful thing to see the different ways that I can flourish and the different things that I can do. But, I, you know, I'm always honest, it has not been easy. And I have had plenty of moments of lying awake at night and being like, is my career over? Did I place the wrong bet? Have I have I caused us so many financial problems that we won't recover from this because I, you know, didn't see the global pandemic coming. And so it, it's all great and it's working out well. But I do want to be honest that. I don't have all the answers and I have done plenty of lying awake at night, just in absolute crisis. But the thing I'm really excited about is I feel like I'm able to kind of lift people up by bringing them into my own mess. I do silly videos on Instagram and on Facebook. And then once we're able to, to do live events again, I am definitely, I'm itching to do another tour and I cannot wait to do it. 
That's so fun. And tell us about your Sirius SM radio show and what channel and all of that. Yeah, it's on Sirius XM at channel 129. I am live from 2 to 4 East. That's 11 to 1 Pacific. So that is two hours of talk radio every single day. And again, that's on channel 129. It's called The Jen Fulweiler Show. And I've got that just kind of freedom to talk about whatever I want on that because the channel is technically the Catholic channel, but it's based in New York City. And it's more of like a it's like a lifestyle channel done by people who happen to be Catholic. So it's not like it's, it, this is an odd. You're not quoting the Bible every, right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, a, a lot of people, they tune into my show. They're like, what, what I meant to be on the Catholic, what, what channel is this? So I have a lot of fun on it. And, um, and again, it's, it's great to, I get up to New York a lot to hang out with my staff. My producer's an atheist. So we're, we're a good, we're a good combination. Nice. And then you have a podcast as well. Yes, I just started a new podcast and this is this is one that gives me a little more creative freedom. And honestly, if people want to start with anything, I'd probably either recommend look me up on Instagram, Jennifer Fulbeiler is my handle there, or my new podcast is called This Is Jen and this is me just well to quote your book being confident as fuck. Like this is me just being nice. like, hey, it's who I am and if you don't like my humor, this is definitely the wrong podcast for you. And I am having a ton of fun with that. And I think people will hear it when they pull up the podcast, which is called This Is Jen. That's awesome. Hey, thank you so much for joining us. I am just so excited about all the things you're doing. The book is awesome. Your Blue Flame. You can go to Amazon.com or YourBlueFlame.com. You also have a free ebook, right? So let's let people know about that. Yeah, it's called Find Your Blue Flame in the Dumpster Fire. And I really shared a lot in it. I mean, it will get you. I don't want to say you don't need to buy the book after you read it, but I didn't hold back in the ebook because I know a lot of people can't afford to make that purchase of the real book right now. So this is just me saying, hey, I want to help you out where you are. You can get it free instant download at yourblueflame.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to all of your future successes. All right. It's really been a pleasure. Thank you. All right, everyone. We'll see you next week. Hey, Primal Blueprint listeners. Did you know that Primal Kitchen Collagen Peptides help support hair, skin, and nails? Well, we offer a variety of collagen products to suit everyone's palate, from unflavored to mango pineapple or golden turmeric to our keto matcha or chai tea collagen latte mixes and more. Visit us at primalkitchen.com and start fueling your day with collagen peptides. Hi, folks. Mark Sisson here. If you found your way to the primal path and want to help others live primally too, then visit primalhealthcoach.com to learn how you can join our mission to help 100 million people reclaim their health and how you can turn your passion for wellness into a profitable health coaching career that you love. The world needs health coaches. The world needs you. So visit primalhealthcoach.com today to learn more.